Yeah, baby. Welcome back to My Average Greatness. Today, we have Aaron Deal, the founder of Improve It. It's an improvisation company that is incorporated into corporate America training and enablement sessions to facilitate communication, humor, quick thinking, and overall teamwork. Some of the great things that we'll find from Aaron that we talk about today in the episode is we were friends throughout Clemson. One of the things that I always admire about Aaron was her contagious personality. Whoever was around her always had a smile on their face because a lot of the energy in which she brought to the room that you'll hear throughout this episode. Some of the other things that we'll talk about is, you know, her burning desire for school spirit, her being fart girl, her chasing Oprah to Chicago, running down the streets with resumes, searching for a job. And then more importantly, her being on the price is right and listen to find out what she won while on the show. We then get a little bit deeper into the personal aspect of infertility and some of the stresses that that brings and being an advocate for yourself and your family. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. You were not designed to be average. average. You were designed for greatness. Greatness. This is My Average Greatness. We'll interview people who are doing amazingly great things and listen to their unique stories of greatness. Get ready to be inspired. Broadcasting around the globe. Around the globe. This is My Average Greatness, and this is Kevin Bartlett. All right. Welcome back to another episode of My Average Greatness. Today, we have the artist formerly known as Holbrook, now goes by Aaron Deal, joining us. Aaron and I went to Clemson University together where she was a rally cat. She was also a marathon runner, skydiver, graduate of the Second City Training Center, IO Theater, Annoyance Theater, sketch comedian, a mother to a four-legged toy poodle named The Big Deal. She's an IVF warrior, an entrepreneur, a founder, 10KSB Goldman Sachs alumni. Please welcome... Aaron Holbrook Deal. What's up, Aaron? <laughs> What's up, Kevin Barlett? That was uh, the best bio of myself. Could you write that for me and say it every time? That, that was you, great. I'll send you a little clip. You can be, be your uh, <laughs> alarm clock in the morning. I am a badass. Let's go. Let's go. Oh, my God. The artist formerly known as Holbrook was probably the best part. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> Okay. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having yeah. me. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. I mean, you know a little bit about the podcast. You know, we, we connected, had a chance to chat a couple of weeks ago and, you know, it sounds like a perfect opportunity for us to, you know, really just kind of catch up and allow anybody who decides to listen to the podcast to kind of join in. And, you know, I guess the way that I kind of kick it off is one of the things we talked about was we both were deferred admission to Clemson and kind of overcoming adversity, but maybe tell me a little bit about like, you know, you pre-Clemson, like what did you do in high school? What was your family dynamic and, and how did you land on Clemson University? Oh, Kevin. Well, first of all, go Tigers. Um, but second, I, man, so I moved 
to West Bloomfield, Michigan when I was in ninth grade. So talk about culture shock. I went from the sticks of Georgia, Tifton, Georgia, to West Bloomfield, Michigan, which is a suburb of Detroit. So I, I literally, after eighth grade, I had made all these new friends because I went to junior high and I was feeling myself and feeling middle school and junior high. And then my dad says, we're picking up everything. We're moving to Michigan. And I got there and we moved into a neighborhood and I actually met um, the mother of my still now very best friend in the whole world out on a walk in our neighborhood with my mom. She introduced me to her daughter, Lauren, who's still my best friend today. And Lauren helped me make all kinds of new friends before I went into ninth grade. Um, And then I just... I was the Southern girl, which is crazy for you to think, Kevin, because you only know me (laughs) as this Midwestern girl who came South, but I was first Southern who came Midwest. Okay. And when I was in high school, people would ask me to talk because they did not believe my accent was real. (laughs) Talk to me and I'd be like, okay, what do you want me to talk about? And then, um, I said, yes, ma'am in class once. And my first, I will never forget this first like week of ninth grade. I said, yes, ma'am to the teacher. And everybody just laughed. I never said it again. Um, (laughs) and so I navigated high school being this Southern girl, because that's who I was. I lived in the South my entire life. And then I was thrown into this melting pot of different cultures and religions. And I mean, honestly, it was the best thing for me. I'm so happy that we did that. I still have so many friends from West Bloomfield that I keep in touch with. My dearest and best friends um, are still my dearest and best friends from high school. But I got super involved. I was always in, as you know, I danced at Clemson. So I was a cheerleader, a dancer. I did um, this show we had every year called Vaudeville, which was this variety show. And I'm just going to say, you know, my claim to fame was I was fart girl. That's right. (laughs) F-A-R-T. And Vaudeville. And that won me best actress my junior year. Not going to brag, but I'm bragging. (laughs) Uh, so, mm -hmm. and it was basically me dressed up as like a little girl and people kept getting on and off an elevator. Um, but, but every time they would get off, there would just like be this awful smell and you would hear this loud fart noise. And then it was just this me and this really big dude left in the elevator and, um, he got off and then I just stood there and let it rip. And so it was, (laughs) (laughs) was this like a, a talent show? It's called Vaudeville. It was basically Saturday Night Live. And you would write and produce your own shows. And we would do choreographed dances. It was, my high school was very theatrical. I was in show choir too. So I, I did all the things. Like I have literally been performing since I was three. And I just was involved in student government and student leadership. And um, I was involved in, like I said, vaudeville and just anything. I loved school spirit. I mean, (laughs) I went to leadership camp, Kevin. Um, I was a camp counselor at leadership camp. I just felt school, man. I loved it. I was Susie High School. I wanted to get involved. I want, and, and I cared about school, you know, the actual subjects, but I think I really did care more about the people and the connections and the theme behind being at school. So I really did immerse myself in everything that 
West Bloomfield had to offer. And then Clemson, just to get back to that question, my dad went to Clemson. And I'll tell you this, I grew up going to Clemson games um, until we moved. And um, we moved to Georgia when I was eight and then lived in Georgia and Tifton until I was 13. So we kind of stopped going to a lot of games then. But I just grew up, my dad loves Clemson football. He's obsessed. He was in the band. Fred Holbrook was in the band. <laughs> Good old Fred. Good old Fred. Um, and I just was always kind of like, you know, I grew up loving it, but I didn't want to go there because my parents, you know, wanted me to, which is awful. So I, I never really wanted to go until my junior year. No, it was my senior year at in high school. We came down to, to visit family in South Carolina because most of my extended family lives here in South Carolina where I'm recording today. And um we went to a Clemson game and I it was a basketball game over uh, Christmas break and I saw the rally cats and I said, I'm going to do that. And you couldn't try out back then until you were going into your sophomore year. So you had to get into Clemson, be a freshman and then audition. And so I did that and I, I ended up not getting, well, so it was uh, December of my, my senior year. I applied, it was late. I did not get in and I had, oh, I'm going to talk about an ex-boyfriend, Kevin. You and I have a theme. I just bring them up. My, my <laughs> ex-boyfriend at the time, you know, and I still credit him to this day because we actually, he lives in Chicago. I see him sometimes. And he said, Aaron, you are not going to go to college in Michigan. You were not supposed, I was going to go to Michigan State. I got into Michigan State and he said, you're supposed to go to Clemson. You need to defer this. We need to get you in. And so he helped me write this really great appeal letter. Wait, I had so you, my, were, you applied to Clemson. You got deferred admission. So basically he said, no, you can come mm-hmm. second semester. And you then said, no, that's not acceptable. And well, that's they, where you are right now. They did not even say you're deferred second semester. They said you're, you're a no, period. Ooh, hard no. <laughs> hard no. <laughs> Hard now. So um, I, what I did was I got my ex-boyfriend at the time helped me write a really great deferral letter. And because I was an alumni, my dad went to Clemson. We played on that. And then I just was, I wrote about how involved I was at school. My grades were average, like 3.4, something around that. Like nothing stellar, you know, pretty average ACT score but I was super involved. And so my student leadership advisor, um, I think I even had the vice principal of my school <laughs> write a letter of recommendation for me and I appealed it. And then I got in to Clemson. And I am so grateful for that because without it, truly, I don't think, I mean, I don't think I would be Aaron Deal. I'd still be Aaron Holbrook or somebody else because that, <laughs> my husband was there, but I didn't know him at the time. So also just all the, fr- I, I, I just knew I was meant to go there. And you, as you know, going to Clemson is a magical thing. Anybody, you know, from Clemson, you automatically have a bond. It's again, such, I think school spirit is important to me. This is a theme I'm finding. It is. It is. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, look at this podcast, Kevin, look at yeah, what yeah. you're uncovering. I know oh. now, now you got the school spirit going on with your own business, but like, so, you know, you got hard no to Clemson, 
this is not acceptable. In today's world, you might have done like a TikTok video or something and sent it to the president, but you had to go <laughs> pen and paper, get down, plead your case. How long after you sent that letter did they reply? Man, that's a good question. It was probably because I went there in December. So I think I applied, didn't get in. Um, I actually found out, this is hilarious, that I got in when I was in the Bahamas for spring break. So it was like April that I found out I got in. So it must have, I applied, didn't get in probably end of January, February, deferred. And then I found out in that spring that I got in. So I, it was pretty late my senior year. And then I had, you know, I, I was determined to go back South. I just am not a, I've lived in Chicago 15 years, but when I say this, I'm not a cold weather person. <laughs> I'm just not. So it was, it was meant to be, I think, but it just was another lesson and not taking no for an answer. Yeah. I hear your story. And then I kind of like kicked myself in the butt. So I got deferred admission. So I was, I was given a soft no, like, Hey, not, not the first pass, but you can come second semester. Cause we know there'd be some kids that f- fail out or just decide that it's not for them or don't come. And there's going to be always some opening second semester. Just go to any other university, get a, get a decent GPA and you're in second semester. So I, I took that, went to a local school, got out, got out of the house and then transferred in the second semester into Clemson. So I now, after hearing your thing, I was like, man, I kind of rolled over and took it and just went with it. I should have, should have written a letter. <laughs> yeah. I to hang out with you more. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, one of the things always hanging out with you, Holbrook, or deal, sorry, is. No, call me Holbrook. I love it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're always Holbrook. It's the one name, one name wonder. Uh, Holbrook always brought so much energy whenever you were around you had that contagious spirit that no matter what, if somebody was in a bad mood, it was just a somber event. You could open up the door and have the, the spunky personality and, and bring out the best in everybody. That's something that I always admired about you. And, you know, obviously you still have that with you today and you, you took that through Clemson, had a lot of success while you were there, a lot of school spirit while you're there. What'd you do when you graduated? Where'd you go? What'd you do? First of all, you're so nice. And Everyone called me Holbrook, and I, I do love that. It makes me feel good. Um, so what did I do? I moved to Chicago. I was going to be a talk show host, Kevin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, you were. <laughs> the Aaron Holbrook show. Um, that was real. I thought that was real. So I said, naturally, where do you go to become a talk show host? Well, I was a huge Oprah fan, still am, and she lived in Chicago. So I said, that's probably where I should go. Like any, you know, parent, my parents were proud. They were like, you know, go do it, girl. No, they were like, have a backup plan. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Where's the, what's plan B? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, I was. Chicago is expensive. <laughs> exactly, man. So I literally moved back to, to Michigan for three months. My best friend and I from high school both didn't have jobs. She was the marketing major. I was the communications major. We went to Chicago for her birthday. We drove from Michigan to Chicago and it was just so awesome. It was Chicago summer now. Okay. So we're like, this is the best place. Why wouldn't you want to live in Chicago? And she wanted to do sports marketing. So I'm not kidding, Kevin. This is real. I know this podcast exists. So, you know, it's like a legacy. I'm going to leave this for, for my son, Jackson. I walked 
When you say uphill and snow barefoot, I put on a business suit in 90 degrees and heels and I had them in a purse and I had paper resumes and I would walk into production companies and hand them my resume. Like I had this little, this is before phones had GPS on them. I had literally a map of the city and I would walk up and down the street and I had this production Bible that I found all the production companies in Chicago. And I didn't even know what I wanted to do. I just wanted to be around television. And so I was like, give me an assistant job, give me anything. And I would walk in literally after walking up and down the street and hand somebody my resume. Like what it was, I, I don't know. Yes. I don't know what I was thinking, but I did I love that. it. Yeah. And so I ended up getting a free <laughs> internship at a, <laughs> Unpaid. at a casting agency. And then I also walked my happy butt into the actor's equity office in downtown Chicago. No actor's equity card. Auditioned for this show called The Awesome 80s Prom. That was an improv-based show. And you it was set in the 1980s at a prom typecast i was a cheerleader because that's what's the world and school spirit baby school spirit so i got into the show with a bunch of amazing improv actors in chicago so that started kicking me off in the improv world and that paid me 50 dollars a night for three nights so then i got a job at a bar and i worked at a very classy establishment called duffy's bar and grill it is not classy. There were two for one Jaeger bombs every Sunday. Uh, <laughs> they called it Blackout Sunday. So let's just stay with that theme. Um, and I did that for like six months. And then I actually, because I was at a casting agency, got an agent. And that agent, uh, I booked a hosting gig on the West Coast. And so I traveled the West Coast for three months um, doing shows for tweens mm -hmm. and we were trying to get them physically active. It was a campaign sponsored by the CDC called verb. It was all about getting kids physically active. So I did that. And that was literally, um, my life post Clemson. I moved to Chicago, made $50 a night for three nights, waited tables <laughs> and then traveled for, and then the travel continued for about three years. So I kept just booking different, um, hosting gigs and tours with different brands and traveling, but I kept, I kept paying rent in Chicago. Sure did. Is this all before or after you made it on the prices, right? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I love you. Um, it's before because the prices right happened while I was on tour. So oh, all right. yeah, I was in LA and God, just talking about all the ex-boyfriends, another ex-boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a monogamy whore. Um, so I literally have had boy, like every boyfriend I've ever had was like at a minimum a year. So this was a, a ex-boyfriend I have for a long time and he loved the prices, right? And if I'm being honest, I did not um, actually know a lot about the show at the time and we went and you had to like audition before you sat in the audience had no clue i was gonna come on down and i did and i won a bird bath and 32 wide glasses <laughs> bird bath what'd you do with the bird bath can i tell you something i didn't get it you would have paid taxes on it and i said what am i gonna do with a bird bath in my two-bedroom apartment in downtown chicago so i should have gotten the wine glasses i didn't so i was just 20 something Dumb, like, dumb. I'm not paying taxes on that. Yeah. You guys can keep the gift. Like, 
That is for real. So that was it. And I, yeah, I would go back to Chicago in between um, tours or, or um, just, so when I say tours, I worked for an ad agency based out of New York, but I lived in Chicago. And so whoever their client was, um, so they had like Neutrogena was a client. So we would do, um, set up these campaigns and we, I was a casting agency agent for this webisode that they were putting together for Neutrogena products. Um, American Eagle Outfitters, the clothing store, you'll like this. Uh, they were trying to make videos for their store and their website. This is back in the day. This is before all of like Instagram, TikTok exists and, um, Facebook was around. So anyway, we would go to every major college rivalry football game in the country and we would film traditions. So I saw um, USC, UCLA. I saw Alabama, LSU. I saw um, we were at Penn State. So the one time I was in LA was for UCLA. Um, and we that's when I was on The Price is Right. But it was a really cool experience because- That's awesome. Yeah, I got to see all kinds of traditions. Um, Got to see the twelfth man at um, is that A&M? Texas A and M. Yep, and it was just really interesting. So I was the tour manager for that, and so I managed a whole production crew. Met up with different people in each market in each city, so they could help show us around the school. We would film. I was in charge of the talent. I was in charge of the tailgate setup. It was a lot. So that taught me a lot. And living on the road for probably about six years taught me a lot. And then I got real sick of living on the road like that. So it was months on the road at a time, not just like a weekend here and there. It was constant travel. Wow. And then did that lead you into starting your own business and prove it? Or how did, how did you get to the starting your own business? You know, was it being on the road and just being burnt out and, you know, working for somebody else and deciding that, you know, you, you want to, own your own thing and create your own. Oh, did I lose you? Yep. Nope. I'm here. I'm here. We're back. I'm back. I'm back. <clears throat> thing is what I heard you say last. Oh yeah. I was just uh, saying, so what, what caused you to start improve it? Was it all that time being on the road and just traveling and being worn down and realizing that you wanted to create your own thing and be your own boss and make an impact in your own way or, what what led you to start improve it or is there a gap still in between the two yeah i'm going to keep it short cuz this is this could be long so really long story short i just got sick of being, i i was wanting to create I love creating. I was doing, when I would get off the road, I would, I had the sketch group, this all female sketch group in Chicago. And we would, when I would be home for like a month, we would get together, we would write a show, we put it up in this really, really small venue in in uptown in Chicago, um, above a tattoo parlor, actually. And I just was feeling, well, I think a couple of things. I had, I was burnt out of the travel. And then I'd met, I had known John, my now husband, but we had started dating and I just was sick of leaving Chicago all the time. So all of that kind of came to a head and I wanted to go in-house um, at an agency. So I was working on the, on the field side of an agency from New York. So, you know, I was kind of the face of the agency. I wanted to be on the inside planning it. And so I did that for a year. I got a job at an agency in Chicago. It was an experiential marketing agency. Again, that did not take me off the road because on the inside you're traveling to all the events that are happening 
on the outside, but you're not even a part of the outside. You're managing that. So that was a lot of logistics, a lot of event planning, which I enjoyed, but I was really missing at that point the creative side of what I was doing because a lot of what I loved was being the face of a brand or, you know, being able to interact with people and create. And so I got sick of that too. I quickly burned out of that job. It was like a year and a half. And I'm not kidding. I was, I was done. I said, I'm done with being on the road. I'm done with travel. I'm going to be a speech pathologist and go back to school and help people. And so in order to do that, I needed to quit that job. I got a job at a recruiting firm. My boss at the time, literally, I kid you not, Kevin, here's this quick little quip. Uh, I did not interview for a job at this recruiting firm. They wanted a business development associate. I was at auditioning to be on Oprah's. Um, she had this new talk show coming out for her own network and it was called your own show so you had to make a video to get your own show and have the public vote for you so i have my friend who's a videographer help me make this video you had to put it online get a x amount of votes to get you to the next round i got x amounts of votes i got to the next round but then for whatever reason i didn't make it into the final round so my boss Come at the on, time. Oprah. I mean, I you went to Chicago for her. I mean, what's going Thank on? Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. And so long story short, my boss saw the video because I knew somebody at the recruiting firm and she goes, we should hire her. Talked to her on the phone once, got the job. <laughs> <laughs> and she ended up, she's still one of my favorite people in the world to this day. So I started doing business development. And that was a nine to five and I loved it, but I was planning on going back to school and getting my master's in speech pathology. And then through that, I said, man, I really miss performing. I really miss improv. So I started getting really intertwined at Second City and IO and Annoyance and just in the improv community in Chicago and performing. So that was basically two full-time jobs. I work nine to five and then go to a rehearsal or a class or a show um, and in the evenings from like six to midnight. And John and I were dating at the time. Through that time, we got engaged, we got married. And then through that is really when I saw the connection of improv really infiltrating into my professional career. And I just saw how amazing what I was doing on stage and in class was making me better in person as a performer, or I'm sorry, as a professional, as a just person in general. Um, I felt more present. I was thinking quicker on my feet. I was just interacting differently with people. So the idea for Improve It was born. And my boss at the time, I told her about the idea. United Airlines was our client at the time. And she, we were out to dinner and she said, you should tell our client about this idea. And so I did. And so what was that idea? Like what was the core concept of it? Yeah. So improve it was going to be professional development using improv as a way to train professionals. Um, it was going to be competitively priced so that not only the large size to, you know, fortune 500 fortune 100s could book, but it would be affordable to a mid to small size business. And it had a philanthropy aspect to it. So it wasn't this fleshed out. I'm thinking back to that day. I mean, I was like, I want to do improv for business and we're <laughs> yes. going to have, we're going to donate money to PayPal. And <laughs> this is my elevator pitch now. <laughs> that was how it probably sounded seven or eight years ago. So that was the idea concept. And then I sat on it. So well, anyway, long story short, United Airlines said, I love this idea. Why don't you pilot your program to my 
external team, my talent acquisition team. So they would let me pilot my workshops to them. My boss would let me go and pilot these workshops during the day at work because she's like, listen, you're showing our brand off too. So do this and we'll see where it goes. And then eventually that led to them saying, man, all right, we're going to pay you. Where, can you come do this conference? Can you come do this? So it was just me. I knew I wanted it to be bigger than me. I knew I wanted a team of people. I knew I wanted to scale it with people and facilitators. And I wanted to get a, a proper charity play in place or a non-for-profit in place that we could work with and donate to that we felt passionate about. And um, got married in 2013. And then right after that, I set my sights on building Improve It. And that was it. And I said, this was going to be a short answer and it turned out to be very long. So thank you. (laughs) No, I I love it. I I love the, you know, your boss at the time being open-minded from the perspective of, yes, hey, this is a great, great idea. I support you in it. But in the meantime, as you kind of work through it, you know, you're still a positive reflection of our brand and it's not just fully taking away. And that, that takes somebody that's, comfortable in themselves, you know, open mind thinker. So, I mean, very fortunate to have her as a boss. Oh, yeah. I tell her that I said, you created this monster and she, <laughs> <laughs> she did. She taught me how to network. She taught me how to build um, trust with clients. She taught me how to do sales. She taught me. And then it's funny, full circle. I, you know, when I left, the company was called Lakeshore. When I left Lakeshore, it was bittersweet, but I had already gone part-time. She let me go part-time and the CEO did. I'll be very, I'm always grateful to them because our CEO at the time said, I would be the biggest a-hole if I did not allow you to go pursue your dreams. And they believed in me. I mean, really hard. And Jen is my boss or was my boss. And I mean, my clients are my boss now, but she, she'll hopefully be my last real boss ever. Um, and she is still one of my dear friends to this day. And she ended up leaving Lakeshore, getting another job that, that just kind of didn't work out and was looking for work. And I happened to know another, uh, great guy at a recruiting firm and said, Hey, can you help out Jen? He ended up hiring her and she's been there for three years and she's been I mean, it is probably the best job she's ever had in her career and she's just crushing it. So um, she is, it's just funny because she gave me this opportunity. I, she then let me leave to go pursue my opportunity. And then I connected her to the opportunity of her lifetime, it seems like for now, you know? So it's just full circle. And you're the same way, Kevin. You're a connector. You, you love <laughs> connecting people. So you know, I'm always, I am truly that type of person too. Like you, good people need to know good people. So I'm, she's a wonderful boss, an example of great leadership. And I will always be grateful to her. And she's, she's close to my family. She flew to my wedding in Charleston, um, to be honest, right when she was going through a divorce. And so I will never forget that she flew alone. She came to my wedding and people just embraced her. Um, and she, my family, my, my whole family loves Jen. We call my dad's like, call Jen. I got to ask her a question, you know? So it's like, she's just <laughs> the best. She's, she's uh, the best. And it sounds like a lot of the things that she kind of taught you from her leadership style is I would go ahead and assume some of the ways that you lead your team as well, based on the example she set. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly. I mean, I could, I could talk about her for hours. She's, she's never, 
she didn't play favorites, even though I think a lot of people thought I was her favorite um, because we worked really close together on the sales side. She was very fair. She celebrated every win. She celebrates people for who they are and she sees people for who they are because that's really what makes her an awesome recruiter. She can, she can read a person in a minute. It's, and she knows good people and bad people and bad energy and good energy. And she's really great at her job. And she's, she is a person to this day. I still go to for leadership advice. I've never been led like that. It was night and day from where I came from in a different place and time. And I just was so grateful to have her in my life. I mean, she, she embraced every single person, every anniversary, every birthday was celebrated every win from a big client, every big placement. She, she, she just really cared. And that's something you don't see often. And she made it human, you know? That's awesome. So great leadership. We've now got, you know, improve it. We're up and running. You're going, how are you scaling? How are you growing? Is it within a single city? How do you expand? How do you handle that? What are, what are some of the challenges and lessons learned? Yeah, you're you're a great interviewer, Kevin Bartlett. Um, so we started in 2014. I was still working at Lakeshore at the time. I left my full time job in 2015, August of 2015. So I really count that as when I fully got off the ground. Just me and an intern. Uh, well, no, just me for six months working from home. I had to replace John, and I came up with a. I put in five thousand dollars of our money. To, and to improve it. That was for a computer. That was for Squarespace, for a website. That was for some marketing material. That was literally just, hey, let's put this money in. And it, we gave ourselves a year, John and I together, and said, you've got to make what you were making part-time because we were able to live off my part-time salary and his salary in order to keep doing improve it. And I said, okay. So I did that quickly. In six months, I had already made my part-time salary. And so- awesome. Yeah. I was like, it was just, it was a grind though. I mean, I was doing everything, everything. And I'm talking about leading the workshop, booking it, selling it, doing the contract marketing. It was exhausting. So I needed help. So I got an intern and I'll tell you, it was so life-changing to have help. And so from there, um, that quickly kind of grew into, all right, they've got, and she was a free intern. I got, she got college credit, but it helped me so much. And then I started, I was now at a theater, a part of an ensemble at a theater doing shows as well. So I'm running a business during the day. I'm doing theater and comedy still at night. Um, trying to be a good wife and a dog mom. It's a big deal. And, um, I just, I, at that point I was, I created a show (laughs) so stupid called will you accept this rose an improvised parody of the bachelor we had <laughs> is this on youtube anywhere anybody we can go google it, this it was an imp- no it was an imp- thank god it was an improv show and we had real contestants from the bachelor come to this theater i'm, I'm not trying to be mean but they were like thirsty you know some of them were really sweet some of them are just like you know, you saw them on TV maybe for like four episodes, but they were, you know, this is some opportunity for them. And we, I would play Christina Harrison and we would interview them about their love life on stage and do an improvised parody. And we did, you know, one-on-one dates, two-on-one. It was a whole thing. Through that, at the theater, I met Allie Keller, who is now our director of operations, but she was also um, 
I asked, I need a director for the show. I'll create it, produce it and, you know, be a part of it. But I just need somebody to help me direct. And they said, Allie wants to do it. She never said that, but she agreed to do it. We became really close, closely work besties. Like I will say in improv, it's really hard to find type A personalities to run things. A lot of times great improvisers love every single one of them. Um, they're just, it's hard to find people with the personality type and the drive to work as hard as I and Allie worked together sure. to make the show happen. And that's not true for everybody. I don't want to say that as like a, you know, it's just for me at the time and place in my career, I had not found that yet. Now I have so many improvisers in my life who are just well-oiled machines and super professional. I was still growing in my improv career at the time. So I found Allie. She and I worked so well together, and eventually I said, "Hey, do you want to come and um, help run? You know, help me with improve it." And she did, she was an e learning, she was working at an e learning company. She was an improviser, and she had a writing degree from Northwestern. And she said, "Yeah." And so we started just building it, and that was probably 2016. And then we were just in Chicago, and then in 2017, you know, we used one. We had an intern, Jenna, who's now our client experience um, manager, who came on, and we couldn't let her go. And so she grew. So we had an internal team of three. And then in 2016, I hired 23 contractors or improv professionals to help with this huge event. And we just kept growing in Chicago. It was all through marketing, word of mouth, referrals, repeat clients, internet, and then. 2017, we had a great year. We just kept growing year over year, exponential growth, 40%, 30%. And then in 2018, I did the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Business Program. And we created a five-year growth plan for our business, which we were executing cab until this pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. So what is that? The 10 KSB Goldman Sachs alumni, is that something you have to apply to? How did you get involved with that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You got to apply, you got to interview, you basically give them your um, firstborn and your blood type and all of you send them the video that you got your first job with with the the recruiting firm. (laughs) (laughs) I don't need to interview. Here's my video. We good? Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Let's have a phone call and done. Yeah. That I wish it would have been awesome, <laughs> but it was a lot. You had to send in all of your financials. You had to send. So basically it's Goldman Sachs opportunity to create more jobs and create value in communities through this program. So they say they are going to help 10,000 small businesses. And I don't know how long of a time frame that's in, but I know they're close to helping 10,000 of them already. So they might have to change the name. Um, but Goldman Sachs, it's a free, it's basically an MBA for your business for free from Goldman Sachs. And so it's um, about 250 hours worth of work over two and a half, three months. And you go to classes, you're in a cohort of other business owners. And the whole purpose is to create a five-year growth plan for your business to create more revenue as well as more jobs for the cities that the the Goldman Sachs program is in. So for me, Chicago, and then I was expanding to Charlotte, Atlanta. Um, And we we had exponential growth for the next five years planned in four different cities, but we sort of narrowed that down and decided we're going to stick with Charlotte and Atlanta and the Southeast and then see where that takes us. But now due to the pandemic, we are now uh, national because we're virtual. So long story short, 
the plan is amazing. It helps you financially forecast your future. And without it, I don't think we would have seen the growth that we did in 2019, nor um, the growth that we were expecting to do this year. Um, but it's a wonderful program. It doesn't exist in every city, but it did in Chicago. And I'm so grateful for it. Um, they're actually the people who gave us the paid protection program loan for when all of this craziness went down. I know I'm kind of jumping ahead here. Yeah, but, no, no, go keep, I yeah, like it. It was. So the pandemic hits, mm-hmm. we were going, you know, Atlanta, Charlotte, Chicago is kind of the growth strategy. COVID hits, now we're worldwide because of Zoom. We were kind of talking not too long ago, forcing us 10 years in the future. Mm-hmm. Are you mm-hmm. seeing that in your business suit? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, 100%. It's, uh, it's crazy what we've been able to do over Zoom. And if you would have asked me two months ago to uh, do a virtual workshop using improv is what we, you know, obviously use as the platform, I would have said absolutely not. Like, there's no way it can work. I actually had a client two years ago as a global company say, you know, can you do this virtually? And I would say, no, it's just, it's not the same. It's not the same. And I'll tell you what, it works. And we already had, I had Claire, one of our, our girls in Charlotte, we hired her as our partnership development associate. Our director of talent actually moved to Colorado um, in 2019. So we had two of our employees internally, um, which now we have five of us already remote. So we were used to jumping on Zoom for meetings and conferencing them in that way. It's been different from a client perspective because we're selling virtual workshops now, but because everyone knows that this is most likely the way of the future for the next 18, 12 to 18 months, we're actually seeing success with it. And so it's, it's just been a slower build, but now since people have sort of said this is the new normal, people are really leaning into it and it works. It creates connection just like you would have in person from your house. And I do think it's, I think this was supposed to happen for me personally. I really do. I think it was supposed to be this way. So I'm embracing it. Uh, March and April of this year totally sucked really bad because we, (laughs) I didn't know if it was going to work and we didn't make the first round of funding for the uh, paid protection program loan. So Goldman Sachs gave that to me on the second round. Immediately, I applied on a Monday. I got it the next day. Um, I was able to keep all of our employees, except our, unfortunately, our contract improv professionals are only work when we have the workshops. Um, I would say maybe like three or four of them depend on us for a part of their revenue monthly. Other than that, we're sort of a supplemental income to them that they just love what we do. They, they, you know, they, it's a job, it's a gig. They'll do it. They love it. Um, yeah. But that was hard. That was hard. Um, well, I love like back. what you said is, you know, this, this intended to happen. Right. And it's more the, the control of the mindset of, you know, you can't control the situation. You can just control how you handle it and the way that you think about it and taking that positive mindset is something we talked about at the beginning of the episode is having that contagious positive personality and, and bringing that and truly believing it and not, not being phony about it. And it shows, and I can tell that, you hear it in your voice that you're, you're leading the team to, to greatness. And um, I'm excited to see what Improve It does, it does in the future. We've done a lot of talking about, you know, work and college. I'm a firm believer, like, 
best way to say this is, you know, work doesn't define us. It's what we do, not who we are. So in saying that, I feel like there's a, there's a lot more with Aaron and your legacy than just improve it, even though who you are comes out in your personalities and your trait in what we choose to do because we put so much time, blood, sweat, and tears into our career. So I say that as, you know, one of the stories you brought up was, you know, a struggle with infertility and going through that and that being part of, you know, your legacy, the footprint that you leave behind is, you know, you showed perseverance in multiple aspects. Can you maybe shed light on that for somebody that's listening that might be going through that as well? Yeah. And I like the way you said it. I think we should call it infertility because it is fur. fur. Uh, Yeah. I would be happy to, and I am a firm believer in sharing this story because I just think it's something that needs to be discussed. And um, it's becoming more relevant and people are bringing it up. And some people choose to be private. For me, I'm a connection. I'm a connector type person. And for me, I was able to get through my infertility by sharing. So I hope this story can help somebody. And I hope if there is ever a person out there who, you know, needs to hear this, they're hearing it. So very long story short, I say that Kevin, then I just go for a minute, but I'm going to say, I'm going to try to shorten this as quickly as possible. Please. Self-awareness. I love it. (laughs) Yes. You know, you know, so John and I, I was a working career driven woman for a while. Did not want to have kids. If I'm being honest, I, we committed to having children when we got married. I said, no, no, I got to get improved off the ground. So about at 32, 31 or 32, we said, okay, let's start trying. And um, we tried for a year and it didn't work and a little frustrated, but I said, okay, when it's supposed to happen, it will happen. And then finally we, I'll tell you what happened. My grandmother passed away and I was in the room with her. She had my dad, she, my dad's an only child. And if she didn't have my dad, who didn't have my mom as his wife, who didn't have my brother and I, who didn't have our spouses in the room, my grandmother would have died alone because her husband passed. And so for me at that point, I said, all right, I want to be a mom. And it's not because, you know, I don't want to die alone. It's because I want a family. I just, you know, I just, I do, I know that we're meant to have one. So we started getting tested because we were sure something was up. I was 32 going on 33. And then we found out that um, through that we did genetic testing. And so I carried JGB2, which is, or GJB2, which is a hearing loss and deafness gene. And the doctor said, it's fine. As long as, you know, it's very uncommon that you don't have a partner who has the same gene. So if you do, it's very uncommon. So you should be fine, but just know you're a carrier. They had to get John tested. He not only carried it on one chromosome, but he had a, um, a oh my God, what is the word? Uh, so he has a, um, a variation of it, uh, of the gene, something they could not actually know what it was exactly yet and seen it before on the other chromosome. So he actually carried it on both chromosomes. He can hear fine. The combination of our two chromosomes, if any, so basically what we needed was for my non-carrying chromosome to match with one of his, and then we would have a very unlikely chance of our child being deaf. 
So they said the only way to actually, like you're infertile, you're not getting pregnant naturally. The only way to actually control this risk is if you go through IVF. And so IVF didn't really work for us the first time. We only got one embryo. We said, we'll hold that. We did a second round of retrievals. We got six embryos. We batched those together. We tested all of those for our gene that we share, our our, um, mutation. And all of them came back with the mutation except for one that had John's variable and had my my mutation. So that was every single one of them had my mutation. And the only one that we could actually ever implant was one that had John's variable in my mutation. The doctor said, no, you can't implant this. It's a risk. It's a liability. We pushed them again. Here's me pushing people to uh, get my, the answer I want, not hearing no for an answer. And they said, okay. So I went through a transfer protocol, which is like a lot of shots and a lot of medication. Two days before they were going to transfer this embryo, they said, absolutely. Um, you can't transfer this embryo. We are going to, you know, we just had approval from the board and the board says that we are not going to go forward with this. And I was furious because I had gone through all this medication for a month. You know, our hopes were up. We had this team of support people rooting for us, our family and friends. We had, it was basically, it felt like a miscarriage because it felt, you know, it sucked. So Then we did a third round of IVF and I said, I'm not testing any of these embryos and you'll just implant one because you have to do what I say. (laughs) (laughs) So stubborn. So we did a third round. We got two embryos. We implanted the first one. This was June of 2018 actually, and it did not take. So again, two really hard hits in a year. Something had calling me to that embryo that he wouldn't implant. The doctor that we had at the time would not implant. And I kept thinking about it, like the one that had my uh, mutation in John's variable. And I said, well, that's how John lives. Like John has that genetic makeup. He should be fine. And we should have the choice to be able to implant this embryo. And so I called seven doctors in Chicago. And every time I said mutation, they would say, I'm sorry, we cannot help you. Sorry, we cannot help you. So we ended up hearing, we ended up going back to the doctor who found the mutation, which she didn't do IVF, but she recommended this doctor bias fertility. And through that, we did some IUIs, which is, um, I call it turkey basting. That's an awful way to put it. But we, we did some IUIs that didn't work. So we had a series of failed transfers during 2018, 2019, um, or, or no, sorry, 2018. And so we decided that we were going to find someone to implant this embryo. And we had actually named him Jackson. We found out it was a boy embryo and we had named him Jackson. So we found Bias Fertility. She said, I'll have you sign a a hold harmless. It was an all women staff. I love men, Kevin, but I was like, yes, give me this all woman staff right here. (laughs) And we did a transfer. We implanted the embryo. I have a 10 month old son. His name is Jackson. And he can, yeah, he can hear perfectly. So, yeah. Mom does. She fights for her kids. So, um, wow, that's a really cool story. And thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you. And I I know it was long. No, no, that was, you had my, my attention. 
Full, full, full heartedly. I'd, I'd never heard the story before. So thank you for sharing that with us, Aaron. Yeah. Um, kind of, a, you know, here, here, respecting our, our time limits. So one of the ways that I end each episode of My Average Greatness is with a final question. And that question is, if something were to happen to you, what message would you like to leave for your kids, your family, or the world? Oh, God, I want to cry, Kevin. <laughs> um, man, it's gone from, from that to this. I, so I'm going to just talk to them. Like they're hearing this maybe later in life. And I, I want to say um, for my family, I just, I love you so much. You are my world. You're my everything. I, I have fought for Jackson specifically. I want to just let him know, like I fought from him from when he was a little embryo till through pregnancy and I'll continue to fight for him every single day of my life. So, um, don't, if you believe in something, don't hear no for an answer, accept the failures along the way as gifts and know that they're leading you to something greater because he is by far my greatest gift. And he was a series of failures. It's if I'm, if I'm looking at that back right now, I've never, actually said that together. And I'm going to say that, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. And then, um, to my husband, John, I, I just am so grateful that you are my soulmate, my best friend, and that you and I are together in this life. And I always tell him, I hope I go first because I don't want to live <laughs> without you. <laughs> oh, you're not right. I love it so much. <laughs> I messed up. And, um, <laughs> and then to the world, just there's going to be, you have to have, I just read Glennon Doyle's book on Tamed and she talks a lot about you have to have the fallings to get to the rise. And so... I really believe that my life has been a series of things where I've fallen, gotten back up again and said, um, let's go and, and believed in what I was doing wholeheartedly to get to where I want to be. So just to the world, keep going, accept the failures again as gifts and embrace the suck to get you where you want to go. And I, I really believe in that. I really think that when we get down, it's not forever that there is an opportunity that lies within every mishap and step. And Kevin, I know that to be true for you because that is why this podcast exists, which I think is a beautiful work of art, my friend. Oh, thank you. And thank you so much for being a part of it, Aaron. And one of the ways that I end the podcast is in honor of my friend, Mikey. Love you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to My Average Greatness, a show highlighting interviews with average people doing great things from every walk of life. We hope you found encouragement and most of all, inspiration. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, keep up with us on Instagram at My Average Greatness. Make sure to leave us a comment and don't forget to follow and share the podcast. You were not born to be average. You were born to be great. And maybe you'll be our next interview. Till next time.